Greetings, welcome to Hear Her Sports. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. In today's episode, we'll hear about data in sports, a terrific description of experiencing the postponement of the Tokyo Olympics, training without a pool, expanding exposure of role models, the value of sharing more stories of female athletes, sport IQ, along with the beauty and difficulty of water polo. Before we get started, remember to share this episode with women you know. It is a great time to think more about big picture health and fitness. We absolutely don't all have to be Olympians, but so much of what we talk about on the podcast is applicable to all of us. I learn or rethink something from every guest. I hope you do as well. Let's get to it. Here today is Maggie Steffens, who is considered one of the best water polo players in the world. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist and the MVP at both the 2012 and 2016 games. In London 2012, her first Olympics, Maggie tied the record for the most goals in an Olympics with 21. In addition to the Olympic medals, Maggie has won three world championship golds, three NCAA championship titles while at Stanford, and in 2017 was named Association of Collegiate Water Polo Coaches Player of the Year. Maggie is still actively training and is the team captain for the upcoming Tokyo Olympics, so I'm super excited to have her on Hear Her Sports to talk about water polo and what she's been up to these days. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you. Wow, that was such a great intro. That makes me feel like I've been doing this for so long, which I guess I really have. Yeah, you have, and you're a superstar, so that's fun. <laughs> Thank you. Well, let's start. In your bio, you say that you've always wanted to go to the Olympics, and you didn't mm-hmm. care what sport got you there. I want to know more about that. So yeah. what made the Olympics so important, and how did you come to that dream? I mean, that's sort of I don't know. I always find it very interesting when kids know so early on about things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say exactly because it was so long ago. But I just remember at a really young age, I was just captivated by sport. No one in my family had been to the Olympics. My uncle was on the 1980 team that got canceled for the U.S. So... He's an Olympian, but at a young age, like, I didn't really know that. You know, you don't really comprehend those type of things. But I just was infatuated with sport and the competition of it. And then I remember in preschool, we did, like, an Olympic day. And I got to – I have a really funny picture of it, actually. I got to, like, hold a torch. But it's only preschool. It's just, like, you do hula hoops and then you do, like, you run and – Cute. I just remember that being such a cool experience. And I'm wearing, my dad traveled a lot and he used to always bring me back soccer jerseys. And at the time I was a big soccer player, not big. I mean, I was literally in preschool, but soccer was kind of my avenue. And Mia Hamm was starting to get famous. And so she became my first idol. And then once they went to the Olympics and kind of having that role model so early that really transitioned me to saying okay I'm I mean I have to be an Olympian and probably it's going to be in soccer because I want to be number nine just like me I am. <laughs> yeah you know that's so interesting I forget that I, I'm older than you are you know I don't remember any Olympic teams of women you know like other than gymnastics team which definitely was right. not, not my thing that's so interesting yeah cool yeah and then I will say one thing about the water polo aspect Like I mentioned, I wanted to be an Olympian for soccer, but then my dad played water polo. So my uncles played water polo. It was kind of in our blood. And so finally, when I started, when I was about eight, my coach was Marino Tool, who was on the first ever women's Olympic water polo team in 2000. So in 2001, she came to Danville 
and started Diablo Water Polo Club. And then that kind of started to transition to, okay, I had a role model in me, a hand for soccer, but now I had literally a tangible role model that became almost like a second mom to me. I was best friends with her daughter and I got to see her Olympic medal. She won silver. And so then it was, you know, whoa, I could actually go to the Olympics for water polo. Like I had no idea that was even possible. I barely even knew this sport other than it was affiliated with my dad. And and now I got to talk to somebody every day who had the Olympic experience. So, I mean, it was ingrained in me at a really young age, for sure. Right. Do you think it made a difference that your water polo coach was right next to you, standing next to you, and was like a real person and not on TV? Oh, yeah. No, 100%. I mean, even just the fact that I got to hold her medal. Like, you can see pictures and you can get an idea, but to actually have that physical connection and also just an emotional connection. I mean, she's one of my most influential people in my life. So for sure. Cool. What do we need to know about water polo? (laughs) So many things. (laughs) I would say number one, water polo is one of the most fun sports to play and probably even more fun to watch. For me, it's more fun to play because I always want to be in the water, of course. But you know, I think it's hard because it's, you know, it doesn't get the exposure that basketball, soccer, baseball, all these other sports get. And so people kind of just tune it away because they're not familiar to it, just as we are in life. You know, the things you're familiar with, you gravitate toward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my mission is to help create that exposure for water polo so more people can have the opportunity to not just play it, but watch it. It is so fun. It is just like basketball in the water so you have a center you have somebody who guards the center and you know they're right in front of the net and everybody else is kind of surrounding them on the perimeter everyone goes to offense and defense there's counterattacks there's picks there's passing lanes there's cutting off and and boxing out and then it's like soccer in the sense that there's actually a goalie in a net it's funny because it's so similar to all these sports i did growing up And I think that's why I ended up loving it is because I did basketball, I did soccer, I did swimming, I did gymnastics, which is kind of balanced, right? And all of those attribute to water polo. That's something I always want to get across is especially for kids who love water and are comfortable, you know, just in that aquatic area. If you love basketball, watching it, playing it, if you love playing soccer, if you love doing gymnastics, dance, where there's creativity, if you're a hockey player, all of those are aspects of water polo. And so you should go out and try it because it'll take everything you love and put it into one sport. So that's definitely one thing that I want everyone to know. I just wish we had the exposure to share it more with the world. And it's so quick. It's so much faster than any sport out there. Like you start and end watching a game under an hour and it's all fast paced, you know? So it's really fun. I can't remember where I read this, but somewhere you said that it's hard to retain kids for water polo. Why is that? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely tough. My company right now, 6-8 Sports, which I co-founded with Tony Azevedo, who's a five-time Olympian. Our mission is, you know, we really want to help grow the sport of water polo, but mainly youth development. And so we're using data and analytics to help not only grow the sport, but retain these athletes. I mean, there's so many challenges in our sport, similar with swimming. The resources are tough. So even right now in quarantine, 
I don't have a pool, right, in my backyard. And so I can't really practice water polo other than doing physical activity on land and passing on land. But if you're a soccer player or football player or basketball player and a lot of other things, you could just go to, you know, a nearby court or to your driveway or to a grassy field. So even when it's not a paid resource, we don't have as much of that accessibility, you know, the necessity to have a pool, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So retaining athletes in that way gets tough. And, you know, that's honestly a a big concern of mine during this time is for anybody who's been a swimmer, when you're out of the water for a certain amount of time, to get back in is really difficult. You know, it feels like you're in space. It's just such a new experience. So that's, I would say the one thing is, Water polo, although there are ways around it, it's very true that our resources are tougher. Same as swimming. You can't just go around the corner and hop in a pool without a lifeguard, without maybe paying for it, you know, whereas you can do that with other sports. And then two other things, a lack of role models. We have, let me reword that, the lack of exposure of role models. So... Like I said, growing up, I was a fan of Mia Hamm, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, even baseball players. I was a Giants fan. And so to me, it was like, that's the only avenue I can go because those are the people that are on TV. Those are the ones that I'm seeing. And those are the baseball cards I'm getting. Those are the jerseys I'm getting. So for a kid, it's really easy to imagine yourself being a soccer player, being a basketball player. So all of a sudden, if you're not seeing that exposure of professional water polo players or Olympic water players, it's harder to envision that future avenue. Mm -hmm. And so we have the role models. I mean, I look at my team and it's the most incredible group of women I've ever been a part of, intelligent, all Olympians, like they all went to Stanford, USC, Cal, UCLA. Some of them are trying to be doctors. They're getting their MBA. Like these people are amazing but they're not being exposed to kids, right? So that's the second problem. And then third problem, like I said, what our company is trying to solve is just data and analytics. And so if we can see where kids are trending, you know, at what ages, even show them their strengths and weaknesses at a younger age, we can keep them in the sport longer because they can see what they need to work on or coaches can see trends of when kids are maybe stopping playing water polo because, you know, they don't see a future in it, for example. So definitely a lot of challenges, but all things that we're working on right now, right. you know. I mean, I'm going to expose my ignorance, but, you know, the fact that you guys are two-time gold medalists at the Olympics and also three-time gold medals at World Championships, and I didn't know that. And you guys are a team, so there are a lot of athletes that could be terrific role models. Yeah. yeah super interesting. I mean, that's the one thing I wish that the world would understand a bit more. It's like so much of our life is revolved around what makes money, right? Mm -hmm. When really maybe it should be revolved around where the, you know, the opportunity and the quality is. And, you know, who has a really good message to the world? And I think I wish that people could see what my teammates do and who they are as people, because they are exactly who I would want my kids looking up to, you know, and just because we're not necessarily a money sport, we could be in the future, which I believe that, but just because we're not a money sport right now, then kids don't see them, you know, they don't, they don't get those role models. And so how can we change that? And that's in so many sports, you know, you think about rugby or fencing, other sports that kind of have that similar 
issue field hockey, right? Like there's so many incredible role models out there that aren't in muddy sports. And so they're not getting exposed. But a lot of times those are the people that like they're blue collar, they're super humble. Like they are doing all of these other things on the side because they're not making right. money. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I look up to, you know, Serena Williams, for example, like is amazing, right? So nothing against the role models we have now, but it's more of, can we add to it? Right, can we exactly. add more of those women? And I think that's so important. You know, I'm a huge woman in sports advocate. I think we have great role models out there. I mean, the first people that came to my mind were like Alex Morgan and Serena Williams, and they are amazing. Can we just add more smaller sports that maybe have a different message, you know, that aren't on TV or aren't, you know, with sponsors or don't have a million followers on their Instagram, but have those similar attributes to be a great role model, you know, and probably a different story, which is just so cool. So any way I can get my teammates out there, I mean, it's like, I I think about Ashley Johnson, the first ever African-American to play water polo at the Olympic games, and then ended up being one of the top players of that year and of the Olympic Games, MVP the following year at Worlds, and has been named best player of FINA sports last year and is changing the game, right? She's super but cool. Do people know who, like, how, how many people know who she is, right? right? So, can we just share their stories? This is just so important to me for sure. Right. Talk a little bit about the data, because I think that's one thing that's really missing in women's sports is data yeah. and analytics. So yeah, talk a little bit about what you're doing and where that's going. Yeah. So with Six Eight Sports, we're trying to finally bring data and analytics to not just the sport of water polo, but all sports. It's important to us to start with water polo because that's where Tony and I have, you know, that's where our knowledge and experience is. But we see that a lot of youth sports are lacking data. And that's even going into the federation. So, you know, one easy, quick example, and I'll use my co-founder, Tony Azevedo, five-time Olympian, probably one of the most well-known players of all time. I could not tell you how many games he's played. I couldn't tell you any percentages. I couldn't tell you, you know, for example, if he was injured one year, was there something that led to it? All things that data could help. But then you look at, you know, you turn on an NBA game and the most insignificant statistic (laughs) is, you know, up there. It's like, oh, this is, I'm a big Steph Curry fan. And it's like, oh, this is Steph Curry's 300th three-pointer on a Thursday game. And it's like, what? (laughs) And everyone knows that. And then everybody knows it. But then once again, it adds one entertainment. And that's what I was talking about with retaining athletes. So can we do what these other sports are doing with analytics and just statistical sharing to help retain athletes. It also teaches the sport. Being able to retain that data like we have now is is an easy way for us to show, you know, different age levels, where their strengths are. We actually have a, um, you know, like there's the NFL combine and swimming, you have swim tests, but in water polo, you only have games. And so what Tony and I created was a six, eight challenge, which is a series of seven different skill challenges. And using that data, we're able to tell them strengths and weaknesses. And then as a whole, we can look at what girls are more or less stronger or weaker in versus boys, what different age groups are. And then also, if you're from Texas versus California, 
where your strengths and weaknesses lie, and which is so cool, right? And that's one way we can help grow the sport. And we can do that in all sports. It's just funny to me that you look at TV and all of these statistics are up there, but for some reason in other sports, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many games I've played. I couldn't tell you how many games I've won. I could tell you how many medals I've I've won, maybe, but I would have to like look it up. Like I'd probably look at Wikipedia or something, <laughs> you know, which is so silly. And so we're trying to help solve that problem and just get all of every game, every statistic of every athlete, you know, officially into a profile that that kid can now have for the rest of their life, which they could use for recruiting purposes, mm-hmm. for just self-improvement coaches can use federations can use so we're pretty excited about it definitely a lot of work but we've used some ideas from other sports to see how we can make it better for sure one of the arguments i've heard about why women's sports don't have more analytics and more data is that it's expensive have you found that it's tough i mean it's definitely expensive we created a startup and anybody who's an entrepreneur knows that that's a difficult not cheap route but it's a passionate route So I wouldn't say it's the cheapest thing, but it's not expensive. It's doable. Hmm. It's 100% doable. And I think that there's a lot of qualities to it that could be added to the women's game for sure. I think the tough thing, at least for water polo, is we're in water. And so having that water element with maybe tracking, if you're tracking a ball or tracking a body, that makes it really difficult just knowing that you could be putting how are you putting electronics in water, you know, or how are you creating that data interface in water? So that's a bit of a tougher avenue on the water polo or swimming side, if that makes sense. But I mean, if you look at other sports, it's expensive in a sense, but so are, you know, nice cleats or television time or all these things. So it's doable. It's just, do you want it? Or do you think it's important? Which I do, Right. you know? Let's get back to the actual sport. So I'm an endurance athlete mostly. And even as a kid playing soccer, I realized I didn't have a great ability to picture the field and all the other players and what they were doing and to understand Mm -hmm. it tactically. I recently saw a video that you put together talking about space and sort of the field of polo, the, the pool. Oh, yeah. So can you teach that awareness and how? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a tough sport in the sense that so much is going on. So I think that's something that it's tough, especially for fans when they first watch a game is if you've never played it, there's whistles, everybody's moving, you can't see what's going on underwater. So there's just a lot going on. But something that I I think is really easy to relate it to just because more or less everybody has probably watched one basketball game. Even if you're not a basketball fan, everyone's probably watched a basketball game or maybe dribbled a basketball in their life. And so I like to relate it to basketball a lot. We are very similar, but you just add a water feature, which makes water polo that much tougher. (laughs) You add an underwater feature, which makes water polo that much tougher. And then you add a goal and a goalie like soccer, which makes water polo even that much tougher. So it's a super tough sport, but that's what makes it so fun. And... If you think about, you know, just teaching space, teaching awareness, I just want to kind of transport you to a basketball game, whether you're watching or you can imagine you're playing, right? So if you imagine you're in the front court, you're looking at the net, you're looking at the basketball hoop, you have your teammates 
usually in like a semi-circle formation around the basketball hoop. And then you have your biggest person, your Shaquille O'Neal, is in front of the net. And the purpose, more or less, of basketball when you're watching it, you'll notice is there's a lot of movement on the outside, right? And then a lot of three-point shots, like, from the outside. And then there's a lot of opportunities trying to get the ball to the big Shaquille O'Neal in front of the net. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, that's probably the easiest shot because it's right in front of the hoop. So now take that concept, add an extra player on that perimeter in that semicircle, put it in water, <laughs> put it in a swim pool, and instead of having a basketball hoop, put a soccer goal with a goalie in it, and now you have a water polo game. Right, right. And you think about all the things that happen in basketball – People set picks. So I'm a Warriors fan. I love their ball movement. And I would say I would compare the way that the Warriors play basketball currently is how our women's team plays water polo. We move the ball a lot. We share the ball. We run a lot of picks to open up people. We have really good players who can shoot the three-pointers or shoot from far out. And then we have the really dynamic, explosive players that can kind of get to the hoop or for us, score the the goal you know in our cage mm-hmm. so in terms of spatial awareness being able to see the different passing lanes and where is the empty space and filling it much as you would do in a basketball game or as you would watch a basketball game is really similar to water polo I don't know if that makes sense at all I hope that picture kind of helped translate what might happen in a water polo game yeah What's happening underwater? (laughs) Underwater is free game in a sense. (laughs) The rest can't see it. For me, I use it a lot as a strategic way. So to answer kind of both those questions, one way that helped myself learn a lot of awareness and water polo IQ um, and even how to deal with the underwater physicality was I always played up and I would advise girls to do the same. And I always played against boys at a young age. So when I was 10 or 11 or 12, I was always playing against boys, either my same age or older, or playing against girls who were older than me. And so this allowed me at a very young age to learn, okay, I'm playing against this guy who is bigger than me, better than me, smarter than me, stronger than me, which is really intimidating. But how can I play against him as many times as possible so at some point I have figured out my own strength to beat somebody who is better stronger smarter you know longer (laughs) all of these qualities and to me that was awareness and water polo IQ can my intelligence be better than theirs if so then I can almost manipulate their body right you think about water anybody. It doesn't matter how big you are, how heavy you are, how skinny you are, how long or how short. It does not matter. Any size can be a great water polo player. Any size, any color, any ethnicity does not matter. That is one thing that is so different in water polo than most other sports is it really doesn't matter. I could play against somebody who's a hundred more pounds than me and a foot taller. And we could technically both be Olympians, right? It does not matter. And so for me, I learned at a young age by playing up how to 
manipulate more or less by using the underwater, you know, physicality of, okay, if I pull their wrist here, now their balance is off and now I can move forward or can I, you know, get better positioning? You think about boxing. I'm referring to basketball a lot because most people understand basketball. Right. But if I'm a small player and I box out against a huge Shaquille O'Neal, but I have better position than Shaquille O'Neal because I did a good box out, now I have the advantage with the ball, right? I can get the rebound and I won that fight. But Shaquille O'Neal is you know, 300 times bigger than me. Right, right. And so I learned that really young that it doesn't matter. And if you can develop that IQ, if you can develop that awareness and realize it's a game of positioning, then, you know, you're able to teach yourself that at a young age and use underwater, for example. It's really tough. There's Mm -hmm. lots of grabbing of the suit, kicking. Um, (laughs) Some people are dirtier. We use the word dirty a lot. Like, that would mean that you're for no reason kind of pulling on somebody or hitting somebody underwater. Right. Whereas I like to play a strategic underwater game, which is how can I get their hips off balance Mm. so that I can win this battle or how can I box them out using kind of my leg underwater so that I have better position to the ball. If that that. makes sense. Yeah. I love that. It's so cool that you're using balance. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a huge part of the game. Like if you don't have a, balance in the water. I mean, that's what we teach at six, eight sports and all of our fundamental drills. It's honestly all about balance. It's crazy. Hmm. Very cool. Well, I do want to talk about the pandemic and you're the first athlete on the podcast who has definite equipment needs and team needs, like you mentioned for your sport. So what's training been like these past weeks? Yeah. I mean, if anybody is in the Long Beach area and has their own personal pool and wants to let me swim in it, please let me know. I will happily, you know, return the favor in, you know, if your kid does sports, I'm happy to help or tutor or whatever. So yeah, none of us have pools. So that's been really difficult. Um, And the beaches are closed, so we can't really swim there. Plus it's freezing. I did get a wetsuit from Tier and we have a bay here in Long Beach. And so I got in there the other day and I'm going to try to swim in there. But no playing water polo. Our team hasn't been together since this all started. So about a month, over a month ago. Yeah. And we're doing a lot of dry land stuff. So we still get workouts sent from our strength coach. So doing lifting at home, just kind of using the resources we have and just trying to stay active with you know, your shoulders and your core and your hips are so important in water polo. Like when you get back, try and think about baseball. If you were to go back to a baseball practice and throw a pitch without doing any shoulder mobility for a month, your shoulder would fall off. And that's the same in water polo. So really focusing on stuff like that. And then I've been doing a lot of running and biking because, you know, if you do one water polo practice, you are burning so many calories. Your heart rate is high at all times. It's an endurance sport and it's a, you know, explosive sprint sport. So you're getting so many different types of workouts in one. And that's really hard to mimic on land. So I'm okay at running and biking, but gotten better over this past month. So just trying to do a lot of stuff, you know, for cardio and heart rate. And yeah, just miss my teammates. Water polo is a very family focused, community focused sport. 
And so to not have your teammates around is definitely tough, but we stay connected in other types of ways through Zoom or sending each other fun workouts to do stuff like that. So um, that's kind of what it's been like for us. You know, we're just trying to stay motivated each day and we miss the chlorine. I think that's really (laughs) hard. It's, It's funny. I kind of watch other athletes and try to be inspired by other athletes. I follow a ton of different women, for example, on Instagram. I get really jealous because some of them who are land athletes, they can go in their backyard or their front yard and still do a lot of the skills and drills needed. And so definitely jealous of that. And so we've tried to get really creative with my company, for example, 6-8 Sports. We've sent out over 100 videos of water polo skills you can do on land. Oh, wow you know, we can help kids stay motivated and kind of playing water polo on land. But when you don't have the water, that makes it definitely really tough. Right. Do you have any weaknesses or injuries that you're able to address now that basic pool practice is is in hiatus? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I have had shoulder problems for a while. Um, Luckily, I've not had to get surgery And so right now, that's a great time for me to focus on shoulder strength and stability. And I think that's so important right now to use this time to focus on weaknesses and turn them into a strength or even turn a health injury or health problem into a strength. Mm -hmm. So I've been really focusing on that as well as kind of wrist control, which is a huge part of, you know, your shot and passing. And so I would say those are the two main things, shoulders and hips, just making sure that. I'm getting them stronger during this time and making sure they're, you know, as stable as possible for when we are able to go back and then focusing on other things that maybe aren't an injury, but I've needed to develop, whether it's my wrist or just getting stronger legs or even just, you know, cardio, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that's been kind of fun and we have the time to do it. So why not? Right, right. I mean, you guys, and I mean, along with a lot of other athletes, we're basically getting ready for Tokyo. I mean, months yeah. away. So yeah. what, what does that prep feel like now? I mean, how, how what's your thought about Tokyo right now and yeah, getting ready um, for that? It's definitely been an emotional and mental roller coaster kind of dealing with that. I'm going to be super transparent because I think that's important. And right away when we found out the news, although I was ready for it, I knew it needed to happen and I understood the decision and I fully backed it, it didn't mean that it was easy to process. And I think that's super fair. I think it's important to be in touch with your emotions and be in touch with your feelings. Because if you don't do that, then at some point down the road, I would have exploded, right? And so right when we found out the news, it was kind of like, okay, I know we need to do this. So it was easy to accept in that way. But we were so close and I had been looking forward to 2020 since 2016 ended. That's kind of how Olympians think. You think in quads. I'm sure you've talked to a lot of Olympians and your life kind of revolves around four years. And so to have that four years kind of be dropped from you was, you know, you kind of had to mourn it. As much as it'll still hopefully happen in the future, you kind of had to mourn the loss of those games happening. And now, you know, I see it so differently because I had the time to process my emotions and kind of let them hit. Whereas now I see these Olympic Games as being probably one of the most powerful opportunities to showcase 
inspiration and resilience mm-hmm. within our world and, and as a country. And I think it'll be an amazing display of world peace and a world community. And honestly, I'm really excited to hopefully be a part of that. But right now, do I need to be where my mind and body were in February when I thought the Olympics were in four months? No, right? Because now it's almost like we're restarting this process knowing that the Olympics are over a year away. And so it's almost like, can you take a bit of a mental hiatus? Because I'm sure you've talked to a lot of Olympians or even if you're preparing for you know, a professional sport or the NBA finals or NC2A finals, the Olympics, you live and breathe and eat and think the Olympics every second of your life, every second. And so for them to kind of be taken for you, I think that's why, you know, a lot of athletes I'm sure kind of struggled with that as I did, because if you live, breathe, think, eat everything, the Olympics and to have it kind of removed or suspended, I guess, for a year, it's, you know, you got to handle that. So now it's a year away. And so now my focus has changed from February thinking, wow, the Olympics are in four months. We really need to be at our top shape strategically. You know, we need to be scouting other teams. We're thinking about other teams. We're thinking about plays we're going to do at the Olympics, you know, really high competition, high pressure. Every practice is super intense, right? So that you're ready for the Olympics. Now it's, okay, we're at a different phase. Now it's kind of how can I keep my body strong? How can I keep my mind healthy and strong during this time period, even emotionally as well? I think all three of those factors are super important so that when we return, I'm ready, you know, to get back in the pool and be the Olympic trainee at this moment. Not necessarily I'm prepping for the intensity and strategicness of the Olympic Games. Now it's more back to the physicality, you know, fitness, mental fitness, and just like connecting with your teammates, if that makes sense. We're no longer in the last phase of training before an Olympic Games. We're almost back at the beginning phase of training in a sense. Right, right. That's so interesting. So what have you learned in the last months? Oh, so much. (laughs) I think a lot of us have learned just a lot about ourselves. And I think that's great. We have the time now to be, hopefully everybody in the world, you know, has a second each day to just get in tune with who you are and who you want to be. And I think that's such a cool experience that we're having right now. I would say worldwide, what I'm learning is, you know, how amazing people can be when we work together. And that's been such a inspiring thing for me to see just from my own home to see how this isn't something that people in one place are doing or one state or country are doing or even one like economic placement is doing right it's the entire world and so that has been a really cool thing to witness is wow everybody can put aside their differences and kind of be all on the same team and that's just a reminder to me of how important teamwork is. That's one of my most valuable values that I live by is teamwork. And so that's been something that's really cool to learn just on on a worldwide perspective. And even just hopefully the world is learning as well as a positive, you know, outlook on this is how beautiful the world is right now. And can we take some of the things that we have to do because of this unfortunate pandemic 
into our lives once we hopefully are out of this to keep the world beautiful and healthy. I think it's really cool. And then, you know, just in terms of my own self, hopefully everybody is learning new tricks and trades that maybe they had forgotten. I'm cooking a lot again. I've gotten really into that after I lived in Spain and I've had a lot of enjoyment in cooking and kind of doing things like I did when I was younger, just getting really creative and getting in touch with uh, my creative side and just trying to be really grateful every day is really important to me. And just how much I miss my teammates and water polo it just makes you appreciate all the things you have. So I would say those things for sure. Oh, those are nice. You touched on a topic I wanted to talk about is nutrition. What's your nutrition been like? And in general, what's it like? Yeah, um, we have nutritionists for our team that are from the USOPC. And they're great. I mean, I've been working with her since 2010. And so she knows me and my body really well. So I I talk with her a good amount, but I definitely think cooking helps with nutrition because you're able to see what you're putting in your body. It's not just assuming. It helps you learn too. Like you look at recipes, you're like, wow, there's that much in this? Do I need that? (laughs) And so that's been something that I utilize cooking for a lot um, as well as that creative aspect. Right. And then just, you know, for example, I lifted this morning at my house, not with big weights because I don't have big weights, but I have some dumbbells and a med ball here and you know, just making sure to keep my routine. So after I lift, can I have protein to retain my muscle? Or if tomorrow I try to go for a big swim in the bay and I do a big run and I do all these cardio things, can I make sure I'm having carbs the night before the right amount to make sure I have the energy to get through those in a strong state, right? So really still thinking about how I would eat and what I would eat during a training period, whether I was at the pool for six and a half hours, And can I still take those qualities to what I'm doing at home, but probably just a lot less because, you know, in water polo, you burn like 3000 calories easily in a practice like that is, I mean, probably way more than that. And at home, it's like, you know, that's hard to do in a day without swimming. It's insane. So your intake is less because your output is less. So making sure to think about that as well is important. Right. Before we wrap up, do you have any advice or thoughts for kids, young athletes that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, I always have tons of advice just because, for example, my dad was telling me this the other day. I just did a conference for 6-8 Sports, and it was our first one, so we were really excited about feedback. And I love feedback. I'm an athlete, so I need feedback in order to get better. And he gave me this really good quote that, I think it would be really great for kids to hear is the biggest room in your house. When you think about that, your house is your body, right? The way you treat your body, that that's your house. That's where you live. Right? So the, the biggest room in your house is room for improvement. And I loved that. I was like, that is so true. And that's such an important way to look at every day. And I think during this quarantine time, can you think about the biggest room in your house being room for improvement? And if you have that, then every day you have a purpose. And to me, purpose is such an important value you need in life because it helps you get through the tough times and it makes you enjoy the great times even more. And so having that sense of, okay, today the biggest room in my house is room for improvement. Now I have purpose. Now I have a goal and now I'm improving myself. And so every day you're going to get better. Every day, you know, you're going to see that improvement. So that would be my biggest advice 
especially during this time in quarantine. Um, and then outside of that, this is just something I always say. It's a very Maggie thing to say. All my teammates know this about me, but don't be shy of your dreams and don't be shy of wanting to be great. I think it's such an important thing at a young age to have a big goal or have a big vision and have small goals to get there. You know, you can't think about the big one at all times, but don't be afraid of greatness because you can do it. It can happen. You might have different avenues along the way, but you know, don't be shy of dreaming big and wanting to make that happen. That's luckily how I've, you know, gotten to where I am today. And there's tons of other values that you have to live by in order to make them happen. But I think the first thing is, is acknowledging, you know, who you want to be and not being shy of that and knowing that's okay. I'm so glad I asked. Those are awesome. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. And that's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. At hearhersports.com in Maggie's show notes, find an International Swimming Hall of Fame inductee video for Marino Tool with old-timey images and a quick history of women's water polo. There are also links to the 6-8 Sports Dryland Skills and Maggie's webinar on Water Polo IQ. Sign up for our newsletter at hearhersports.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at hearhersports. Our design is by Agnes Studio and music by the band Goldmines. It's still important to keep up with social distancing Stay strong. Until next time, bye-bye. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.